Hello, and welcome to the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. Please enter the matrix now. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. As always, I am your host, Adam Levy, and I am so glad for you to join me for yet another episode of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. Now, for a little bit of continuity, this is the second of three special episodes that I'm coming out with uh, this week. Obviously, when I say this week, I'm talking about ahead of the Week 19 slate we have in the NLL in the 2022-2023 NLL season. So it is an exciting time for a few coaches, last episode I highlighted Vancouver Warriors head coach Troy Cordingly and his journey through the National Lacrosse League as he reached coaching his 200th game in the National Lacrosse League, and that spans both the regular season and the postseason. And today I am focusing on the next coach who also happened to be coaching his 200th game the same weekend as coach Cordingly. This was back in week 17 and it's just so cool and so exciting that that these are two guys and there is a third that we'll be talking about next episode just as a little cliffhanger there but it is um exciting to talk about coach Como and and everything that he has achieved coach Ed Como of the Georgia Swarm because he is a guy that has a unique but also a very illustrious career as a coach in the National Lacrosse League, whether it's as an assistant or a head coach. Uh, obviously, for this episode, we are very much focusing on his head coaching career, but his journey through the National Lacrosse League is so interesting and unique, mostly, uh, especially if you look at the beginning, because he did not play in the National Lacrosse League, which is a very rare thing uh, for coaches in the National Lacrosse League today. So without further ado, let's hop right into the matrix and get after it. As you would have expected, the number of the week is 200. So let's get some nuggets and hear Coach Ed Como's story through the National Lacrosse League. Let's get after it. As I said off the hop, Coach Ed Como, who has now been with the Georgia Swarm for several years, he had such a journey to get to the National Lacrosse League and even starting in the National Lacrosse League. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves and talk about where Ed Como started as a coach and he started as an assistant with the Toronto Rock in the late 1990s, it's important to go back and hear how Coach Como ended up in the National Lacrosse League because as I said Previously, he did not play in the National Lacrosse League, so he isn't one of those coaches that went from playing in the National Lacrosse League straight into coaching or, or getting into that position. So here's Ed Como's journey to becoming an assistant with The Rock. Playing in, uh, in I started playing at the age of five in Hamilton. And you know, my dad did nothing about lacrosse, but he worked at Westinghouse, and Westinghouse had a uh, hockey league that we played in. Uh, like a, a league for the kids of their employees. And the same guy that ran that league, his name was Bill Buckley, who's in, he's in, in the Ontario Lacrosse Hall of Fame. He started Hamilton Lacrosse. So a lot of the uh, employees put their kids into lacrosse. And uh, so that's how I got started. 
And then, uh, you know, I played in Hamilton you know, my whole kind of career and then in junior in, in Hamilton and then played senior lacrosse uh, primarily in Fergus. And uh, we had a, a Canadian pro league for one year. It was a four-team league. It was uh, Buffalo, Guelph, Whitby, and Brantford, and I played in that league. And, you know, uh, the next year, the Bandits started up in Buffalo. And, I mean, our league kind of died. And a lot of the guys that I played with, like Bob Hamley and, you know, Jim Beltman and Troy Cordingly and, and, you know, a number of other guys from that league, you know, Derek Keenan. I mean, they all ended up playing in the, in the, uh, with the Bandits at the, in the NL. In the, at that time, it was the, uh, I think it was the MILL uh, back then. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the guys that, you know, that were the top-level players back then I played with or against. Uh, but I never, uh, yeah, I, I never had that opportunity to, to play in that league. And uh, my game probably really wasn't suited to, to that game at, at that point. So, uh, <clears throat> but, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was coaching. I started coaching when I was you know, playing junior and senior, you know, doing some coaching. So, I, I mean, I always had a love for it. And I, I coached when I, I finished. Uh, <coughs> I was one of the founders of the uh, McMaster lacrosse team at the university here in Hamilton where I went to school. And once I uh, graduated, I was one of the uh, I was one of the founders of the team. And then when I graduated, I took over coaching. So I coached there for for many, many years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just continued on the coaching, but I, I got, I got into the NLL through well, Johnny Meridian who was, um, he was coaching at Brock university and I knew Johnny through the university league. And then, um, when the team, the first came to Hamilton and I'd reach out to Johnny and, you know, I said, yeah, I'd love to get involved and, you know, a local guy and everything. And so that's how I didn't know less at all before that. So, it was, uh, you know, I, I owe Johnny a debt of gratitude for, for getting me, uh, getting me into uh, the the NLL. And what an amazing time it would have been for a young coach to come into the National Lacrosse League and go to the Toronto Rock, who were beginning to start a, a dynasty period in the late '90s and early 2000s. And Coach Como ended up on the bench. Uh, sitting next to Les Bartley, the godfather of coaching in the National Lacrosse League, so much so that the award for the NLL's Coach of the Year would eventually and is now known as the Les Bartley Coach of the Year Award, so I can't imagine a better guy to learn from on the bench than Les Bartley. So here's what Coach Como had to say about what it was like to, to be on the bench with such a legendary guy like Les Bartley. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, uh, Les was a different guy and he was, uh, he was very, uh, intense and, um, he worked as hard as anyone I've ever worked with. Uh, you know, he, you know, was amazing. People didn't, you know, give Les a lot of credit because, you know, he also didn't play, you know, pro lacrosse or anything. And he, uh, but, you know, he was, uh, his work ethic was second to none. And I, I think, you know, that kind of rubbed off on me seeing the importance of preparation. And, you know, Les was, you know, in, in Toronto, we were kind of, I don't want to say we were the first ones ever to use video because I, I can't verify that, but we certainly took video to a new level, like, you know, editing video. You know, we didn't just, you know, watch game tapes. We were editing and cutting and pasting, you know, stuff that people take for granted now. They actually get done for us now, so we don't even have to do it anymore. But, you know, we were, we were, we would do that and, 
So that, that's just quite a bit ahead of his time in, in sports psychology stuff as well. And, and you know, that was Johnny. Or Johnny Meridian did his uh, his uh, master's in sports psychology. So he was, you know, he worked closely with us. And you know, we did some things from a um, off-floor and team-building stuff that, you know, people just weren't doing back then. So it was uh, it was definitely forward-thinking. And I, what you know, I, I take the most from working with Les is you know, he used to say sometimes it's it's you know the excellence are important, but it's the you know relationships, the the uh, you know the things you do off the floor and the relationships and the conversations after the players that almost you know bear more fruit than the the X and O's. So that's something that you know it's it's as as someone who you know, fashion themselves as an X and O guy like I, I did. Like, I, you know, that's kind of was my fallback. I'd want to draw plays and do stuff. But less, you know, that's really made it important to, you know, we need to get to know our players. We, you know, develop trust with them. We develop relationships on a deeper level with them. And and something that I think, uh, you know, if you talk to any of the players that, uh, you know, played for less would, would tell you. I mean, you know, some of those guys, Back when he was doing those things, he thought it was you know thought it was kind of hokey. Thought it was kind of you know uh, 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 you know just just really weird. You know that this guy you know doing the touchy feely type you know mind stuff and you know positive uh, visualization. Like no one was doing that in the crop at the time. So so there's lots of guys who kind of rolled their eyes, but I think some of those same guys now would say, hey, we saw the value in it. And, you know, we had success, and, and Les was a big part of that success. You know, his, his, his leadership and, and the way that uh, he, got, he got the most on his coach. As Coach Como just laid out, Les Bartley was such a visionary. The way that he thought about the game, the way that he thought about interacting with his players and, and trying to get the best out of them and trying to find different strategies, different avenues to, to get the best out of his players and, and to shake up the, the status quo in terms of how to how to present yourself on the floor and off the floor and, and different ways of thinking. Uh, and, and one of the biggest things, obviously, using video uh, to really analyze the game to get the best of your opponents. He was really a revolutionary head coach. And, and you know, it makes sense that even to this day, uh, Les Bartley having 93 wins as a head coach and only 38 losses, by far his 71% win percentage is the best in the National Lacrosse League today, particularly among coaches that have coached at least 100 games. He is way ahead of the rest of the pack, and it just so happens that one of the guys that he that is closest to less in terms of win percentage is Coach Como, so very fitting that, that they would be near the top or are at the top in terms of winning percentage for for coaches above 100 games coached together there considering their history. Now, unfortunately, as is as is widely publicized, uh, Les had a very difficult battle with colon cancer and, and unfortunately had to step away from his coaching duties uh, in 2004. This uh, isn't the situation that any coach would want to take over as the head coach, but Ed Como did get his first couple of wins and, and coached his first couple of games as a head coach in 2004, winning two games and losing four. Here's what Coach Como had to say about the experience of taking over as head coach while 
his mentor was going through such tough times. And it was actually, as you'll hear, quite controversial the way that things ended up panning out where Coach Como and and uh, the coaching staff changes happened very controversially and very uh, surprisingly, and that even upset Les quite a lot. So, um, And he was not shy to talk to the media about how upset it made him back in those days. Yeah, I was... Uh... When Les got sick, it was a you know really difficult time for for all of us that were close with him and and um, that that year uh, that uh, I think it was two thousand and four that um, he um, he had to step aside while he was going through treatment and mm-hmm. that uh, you know Les uh, you know Les kind of wanted Derek and I to kind of take over and uh, you know I took over as interim coach and. Derek took over as interim GM, and you know we continued on with our roles. And it, it was difficult; like it was, uh, it was a real difficult time to navigate. And and you know our season didn't start great. And, and I remember thinking that you know, hey, you know, if we get through these first kind of five or six games, we'll, we'll be in good shape. And, you know, we were two and four, and you know the ownership at the time decided they were going to make a change, and uh, so they they fired us, which was you know. Uh, my first kind of foray into that in, in sports, uh, but you know I understood it. Les was you know Les was really upset, and uh, you know he told me, and and um, it, it ended up uh, I, I ended up funny enough, it, you know I, I joked. I was sitting at home that night. You know, it was Tuesday night. We we're supposed to go to practice, and and I'm sitting at home, and you know there's my name on the uh, on the ticker on uh, I don't know if it was TSN or Sportsnet or whatever, you know. Uh, Draw a rock, fire interim head coach. Oh, no. come I was like, wow, I really made it. I said, I'm done. I'm the ticker. It was quite funny. So um, so uh, that same night, I had a call from Paul Day. And uh, they were on their way to practice in Rochester. And because he had heard the news through Sean Williams, who was playing in there. And, and you know, Paul said, uh, hey, why don't you come work with us? And, uh, I mean, I, I laughed. I was I was, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And he said, no, I'm you know, effing serious. And uh, and I said, well, let me you know, let me get the whole separation agreement straightened out with Toronto, and then so I mean the nice thing was within you know within two hours of finding out I got fired, I pretty much had a had a job offer, so I, I was pretty happy about that. And I ended up you know once I got all the you know the you know, termination stuff clear with Toronto, <laughs> I ended up on the bench with Paul in Rochester as an assistant, and then um, and then the uh, next year. So that was 2004, uh, then 2005, then uh, and then Paul left in 2006 to take over Edmonton, mm-hmm. and uh, I became head coach there. So, so I was there for three years, you know, fortunate enough to win a championship in 2007, and then uh, after 2008, um, you know, Kurt had bought the team and was looking to do some different things, and I had an opportunity, Adam Mueller, who had been coaching, the first couple of years in New York with the Titans, he uh, had some family commitments that he couldn't stay. So they were looking for someone. So I was able to, you know, uh, same type of situation, made a phone call, got, uh, got, uh, had a phone interview, you know, had to flew down to New York the next day to interview and then, uh, you know, I got off of the job. So it was, uh, so I ended up there and, and then unfortunately that organization folded up after, 
and moved to Orlando and, and, you know, pulled it after Orlando. And then I ended up in Colorado for a number of years as an assistant coach. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a, you know, quite, quite a path and certainly been in Georgia now for a long period of time and you know, mm-hmm. love the organization. You know, John Armada has been, you know, great to, to, to me and my family. And, you know, we, we have a great core group of guys here that I love working with. It wouldn't be long, though, before Coach Como would be back as a head coach, this time standing alone as the head coach with the Rochester Nighthawks. And it was a very interesting time as coming in as his first real duties as a head coach there and with a team with so many strong personalities, so many incredibly talented guys. If you look at his first season, 2006, with the Rochester Nighthawks, he had guys like John Grant Jr., Sean Williams, Scott Evans, Micah Kersey, Sean Evans. It was really Steve Toll, Pat O'Toole. It, it goes on and on. Stephen Hoare, Mike Hazen, uh, Reggie Thorpe. Really, it was an amazing team. Oh, and, and by the way, also Bill Greer. You know, it, it truly an incredible team, and uh, they were successful in 2006 that first year. They went 9-7 and seven and actually lost in the Eastern Conference Final. It was a very uh, big win against Toronto, Como's first uh, coaching gig that we just heard about uh, in the first round of the postseason, beating the Toronto Rock 16-8 to that year, and then unfortunately losing to the Buffalo Bandits 15-10. to And we obviously, if we remember from even last episode, the Bandits would then go on to lose the championship to the Colorado Mammoth in 2006. That second year with the Rochester Nighthawks, though, was one to behold. It was an incredible year for the team, and it ultimately was capped off with a championship victory, going a perfect 3-0 in the postseason. But the team in the regular season had a 14-2 record, which to this day is still the best record by win percentage that we have ever seen in the 36-year history of the National Lacrosse League. Really incredible stuff that they were doing, and this this lineup was stacked from top to bottom, just as they were the year prior. John Grant Jr. with 111 points, Sean Williams adding 91, and then there were three other guys, Scott Evans, Micah Kersey, and Sean Evans with 60-plus points, and they had great goaltending between... Uh, mostly with Pat O'Toole in the net and having a 11.8 goals against average. One of the things that was so impressive about that regular season is that after a 2-2 two and two start, the team finished the season with 12 straight wins. It was an incredible streak, uh, and so many of those games were not won uh, by a close margin. You had so many games that were decided by four goals or more. In fact, eight of those 12 wins during that streak were won by four goals or more, and there was even a 10-goal victory against the Minnesota Swarm, a 19-9 victory in April of that year heading into the postseason. Overall, with the Rochester Nighthawks, Como had a record of 31-17 and in the regular season and 4-1 and in the postseason. It was really a great time for Ed Como and those teams. So here's what Ed Como had to say about what it was like to to coach on those teams. 
I think like a lot of people, you think you're ready for it, but you know, if I had to turn back the clock, I would do a lot of things different as an inexperienced, you know, head coach. Um, you know, I had a lot of strong personalities in the room there. I had, uh, you know, John Grant, I had, uh, you know, Scotty Evans and Sean Evans. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, you know, really good players in the room and, you know, Paddle Tool and Mike Hazen and Reggie Thorpe and so many, you know, so many great players that we had there and Micah Kersey. And so, it, it, but, you know, looking back, you know, I, I had probably handled some things, you know, not the way that I would now as a much more experienced head coach. But I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think I was honored for the opportunity and, you know, Steve Donner and Jody Gage showed, you know, faith in me and, you know, we, you know, we, we knew, we knew we had, we were a good team and it was just a matter of getting, getting everyone on that same page. And, and, you know, we kind of, we uh, kind of said year that we won in 2007. I, I thought I did the least amount of coaching I ever did in my career. I did more just managing, you know, managing people, managing conflict, managing situations. And that, you know, that was, that was a really good lesson for me that, you know, sometimes, you know, as I said earlier, it's, it's, Unless you know, taught me it, it's not necessarily about the X and O's. It's about you know getting you know putting people in the right position for them to be successful, and uh, and that was uh, you know that was 2007 for sure. We had a great talent. We were a really good team all year, and you know we, we started the year I think one and one and two, and then never lost a game after that. It was it was you know one of the record runs in our league, and. And, uh, like, you know, great memories of, of, of that group. And, you know, it was unfortunate the next year we, you know, we had essentially the same team back and we, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't get out of our own way to, to get ourselves back there. And it was because I, I thought, I thought we had a good chance to repeat as champions, but, you know, we unfortunately didn't even make the playoffs that year, which was you know, a real disappointment. And, uh, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's an honor to be selected as a head coach. And I, I think it's always an eye opener because, you know, even if you think you're prepared for it, you, you just, once you, 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 you know, put the head coaching uh, whistle on it, it's, it's different. It's, it's just a different feeling. And, uh, and especially at the highest level of the game, you know, it's one thing to be, you know, head coach and, you know, you know, midget or intermediate or junior or senior. And when you, when you go to the pro game and, uh, you know, the expectations are, are really high and you're dealing with players, you're dealing with people getting paid and it's, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to kind of manage. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I have a lot of respect for all the coaches in our league because there's, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's a small group of, of people that are, you know, that are in those you know, head coaching roles and, and there's, you know, a number of people in assistant coaching roles that, you know, could be head coaches or have been head coaches. So it, it's, you know, a lot of respect for those guys because it's not uh, it's, it's not an easy thing, and it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of responsibility, a lot of a lot of work to get to where everyone's got. The next season after that short three year stint with the Rochester Nighthawks, Coach Como ended up with a newer franchise. This was the New York Titans, who were in their third season as a franchise. Coach Como came in and made an instant impact on the team. The team had already been successful in the prior season. They were 10-6 and six that year, finishing third in the East Division standings, but unfortunately lost in the division final to the Buffalo Bandits. Now, that, that year that, that Como was there... 
the team ended up going to the championship game where they faced off against the Calgary Roughnecks. They had finished 10-6 and six that year and finished in first place this time in the East Division. That game against the Roughnecks was a close one. It was 12-10. to 10. But one of the most unique things about the team was that there were some very notable American players that were on the team, such as Casey Powell, who is still the all-time American leader in points in the National Lacrosse League, and then another great scorer, Ameri- a scoring American in Ryan Boyle. So I had to ask Coach Como, as an American myself, what it was like to coach some of these great American field lacrosse players who had decided to take up box lacrosse and, and try out that experiment. It was it was a great experience. And uh, I, and I having coached in Rochester, I had the opportunity to coach a number of American guys. And, and you know, the one thing I really, uh, it became apparent with the American guys is that they, uh, they have great attitudes. They want to be coached. They want to learn. And they were, they, you know, they were great athletes, and you know, and some of the some of the Canadian players we have have been, you know, playing box across for twenty years. You know, maybe they thought they knew more than we did, or, or you know, we couldn't say, hey, we should try this because ah, I'm not going to do that. Like it was, you know, these guys were a real blank slate, and uh, yeah, I love I loved coaching in New York. That was a great group of guys, and you know, Adam Adam Mueller and Jimmy Butler did a great job of like putting that team together, and. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we had a great group. And, uh, you know, I you know, I think back to all the championships I've been involved in that I've won. And, um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, it's one that I really regret that I, you know, that I, that I lost is that uh, 2009 championship. I thought we were, I thought that was ours, ours to win. And, uh, unfortunately, we came up short. But, uh, yeah, great, great group of guys. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, they had the you know the MLL back then, and a lot of our guys played in both leagues, and it was amazing. Like just hearing the guys, how much they loved, you know, so many of these American field guys, they loved the box game. They just loved it. They said, you know, they loved our league. It was so professional. They loved playing the game. It was a better game, and it really you know made me realize that you know with these American players, a lot of these guys, all they need is the opportunity to play, mm-hmm. and they're going to love it. And uh, you know, that's something that, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to afford that opportunity because when you're coaching, you're in the, you know, got to win now business. And it's, but, you know, New York was, you know, New York, the first couple of years were, you know, developing and, you know, putting together a roster. So they played a lot of American guys. And that, you know, that really, I, you know, I really benefited from that. You know, guys like John Orson and Greg Pizer and Stephen Pizer and, you know, Dave Stilley and uh, Matt Zash. Uh, yeah, we, we were, we were, you know, almost right down the middle, Canadian and Americans, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great group. And you know, again, like I said, very still disappointed that that one that's one that got away from me for sure. After just one year with the Titans, there was a few years there where Coach Como was an assistant with the Colorado Mammoth, and then that leads us to where he is today, being with the Georgia Swarm. Now, in Coach Como's first season as Swarm head coach, they were in their first season as the Georgia Swarm. Previously, from 2005 to 2015, they were the Minnesota Swarm, and the team was now relocating to Georgia. Here's what Coach Como had to say about what it was like to join the Georgia Swarm. 
you know, I came on board when the team was, you know, in the process of relocating to Georgia. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've been, you know, at the helm of the, you know, Georgia Swarm. I'm the only one. So uh, I, I think it's been, it's, it's been great. And the community down there has been real supportive. The crowds have gotten better. You know, the guys, the guys that live down there, they, they love it down there. There's great opportunities for them to do things in the community. And, um, yeah, the Alana family has been, been, you know, really good to, you know, I mean, they're, they're good to everyone. I, I think there's, you know, there's organizations that, um, you know, treat people really well. And, uh, you know, John's, John's in that mix. And, uh, you know, I felt bad because his time in Minnesota, a lot of people, he made a lot of shrewd moves at that time. And people kind of thought he was, you know, trying to, drop salary and everything else. And, and, uh, you know, he made it really clear when I met with him that, you know, it wasn't about that. It was about people wanting to be there. And that's something that John's always said, like, you know, I want people who want to be here. And that's such an important thing in our organization. And, and he really, you know, when we're interviewing people and he's, you know, vetting people for the draft, that's the big thing, right? It's about character. And, mm-hmm. Our first press conference in Georgia, he said something, and uh, he said, it takes talent to play in the NLL, it takes character to play for the Storm. Uh-huh. And uh, I said to John, you should put that up in our dressing room, and he did. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's our, our saying right over the room as we go out. And that's something that we try to live by to say, hey, we, uh, you know, we, we want to have character guys, and there's been, you know, trades that we, you know, had been offered us in the past or things that, you know, we could have looked at, but we kind of said, you know, that's not a person we want to bring in here. And, and you know, the great thing about it is we have players that say the same thing. Like they say, yeah, this guy's a free agent, but he's, he's not a good fit for our team, you know, even though he's a good player because, you know, they know what the culture is and they know what, you know, the expectations are and, and how we play as a team. And, and I, you know, I give credit to John for that, but, I, I you know, I give a lot of credit to our, our our players and our leadership group, you know, Jordan McIntosh is an outstanding leader that I'm, you know, very blessed to have the opportunity to work with. And, you know, he's, he creates, you know, within our group, this, this great culture. And, and, uh, you know, hey, it doesn't mean like any other team, we don't have a few hiccups along the way, but he does a great job of managing that, you know, within the group. And that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that plays a big part in your, in your um, in your preparation and your success as a team, when you're you know, when you know everyone is is kind of you know pulling pulling in the same direction or pushing in the same direction versus you know those teams that uh, teams that have you know people with their own agendas and you know we've never had that here. It's been uh, you know it's great, it's great great atmosphere for us and it's a great place to coach because of that. Coach Coma was taking over in a very unique situation. Not only was this team relocating, but there had been so much turnover from the years before. So many big, bold trades and, and moves had happened uh, in terms of the roster. You had a lot of guys who had been drafted early on in the entry drafts prior to the 2016 season and then received so the team received so many draft picks, and it was quite controversial and you know it was very interesting to see how John Arlotta and the team wanted to be rebuilding but as we know there was a lot of success from a lot of those big moves so it did pay off here is what coach Como had to say about what it was like being part of this team as they were building a new championship team yeah I think you know John again a lot of those moves that John had made in the years prior you know people kind of 
people around the league and, you know, some media people and some, you know, other GMs, they kind of scoffed at the idea of, you know, and, you know, trading for all these draft picks, right? You know, you can't win with draft picks, blah, blah, blah. And, and I mean, he had a plan, he had a vision. And they get a lot of credit to John because, you know, we, that, you know, those first couple of years there, I think we had like, you know, seven first round draft picks or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and uh, you know, when, when you look at our team and you, you go through our team, you're like, wow, like, you know, this guy, you know, Lyle was a first round draft pick. Brandon Bond was a first round draft pick. Shane Jackson was a first round draft pick. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Jordan McIntosh, you know, Robert Hudson, you know, like you, you, you keep getting a Ryan McSpad, you keep going down Ryan Lanchberry, like Brett Dobson. So many guys were first round draft picks. And, Again, not not because you know the league gave us more graphics because John did you know great things to to make those happen. So um, yeah, you know we, we knew we were building something good, and and you know, it's like anything though when you're you know building something until you see a finished product, and you know you get the, uh, the the thumbs up on it, and you know you you don't know how it's all going to pan out, but you know you know when you put character people in the room and with the shared vision, um, you know, and, and they're skilled people, you're likely to get a, a degree of results. And, you know, 2017, uh, everything just kind of really aligned for us. And we, you know, we were able to make, uh, you know, make a huge, a huge push and a huge run. And, and, uh, yeah, we was, it was, it was great to be part of, and, you know, great group of guys. And, you know, that's the, uh, you know, that's the one bond that, you know, players always say, you know, when you win a championship, you, you have that bond, you know, forever. So, um, and, uh, and also when you win a championship, you, you know, you want to win another one. So it's been a little disappointing that, you know, especially in, you know, 2018, I thought we, you know, could have had another chance. It's always tough to repeat, but, mm-hmm. you know, we certainly had another chance and we, we didn't get it done. And, uh, and, you know, since then we've been kind of tinkering, making some changes with expansion and everything else, but, we have, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, and this year, you know, we, we dug ourselves a hole at the beginning of the season, and now we're trying to find ourselves out of it. So, um, but, you know, I'd love to think that, you know, if we could, you know, if we could get to the, uh, get to the, you know, playoffs somehow, some way that, uh, you know, there, there's no reason why we, we can't make it happen. Coach Como has had a lot of success with this team over the 17, seven seasons that he has been with the Georgia Swarm. He has an overall record, and this includes this year's 6-8 and eight record so far through Week 18. He has a record of 66-50 and 50 with the Swarm, and so many of those wins came within those first four years. If we look at how they, they finished in the playoffs, that first season that was an Eastern, Eastern Conference semifinal loss to the New England Black Wolves, and then that next year was the big championship year where the Swarm won their first title as a franchise. They were 13-5 and in the regular season that's, that year. They followed that up, finishing first again in the East, but did lose in the East final to the Rochester Nighthawks. And then the year after that, they tied for second in the East, losing in the East semifinal matchup to the Toronto Rock. So, very, very good first years. And then even if you, you look at the regular season finish second in the East in 2020 and had a 7-5 and five record, who knows what would have happened that year. What was most impressive about 2020, that COVID-shortened season that had to be canceled, was that the Swarm actually had a 5-1 and one away record, which was one of the best at the league at the time. 
going back to that 2017 championship winning season for just a second. That was also the year that Lyle Thompson won MVP. He had 45 goals and 71 assists. It was such a high-powered offense that year, and the Georgia Swarm's 266 goals scored is still a record to this day, the most goals scored by a team in one single NLL season. It is truly amazing, you know, considering the success the Georgia Swarm have had this year that this season, although they are only 6-8 and eight right now, that this could be their most successful and impressive year to date. And I know that some people might disagree with that and say, well, how is that possible? A team at 6-8, and eight, how can this be their most impressive year? Well, after starting 0-7 to start this NLL season, the Swarm have now won six of their last seven games and are now right in the hunt for the East Conference playoffs and it is going to go down to the wire to determine if they will make the postseason, which is still very much possible the way that the Halifax Thunderbirds and the Philadelphia Wings have been playing of late. They do not look as steady as the Swarm do right now, so if the Swarm went out and the Thunderbirds and the Wings uh, lose a few games there, you may be looking at a Georgia Swarm team in the postseason, and that would be an unbelievable, unprecedented, unprecedented turnaround for a team to to start 0-7 and to make the postseason. It would probably be, in my opinion, the story of the year. So I had to ask Coach Como, what, what exactly has changed with the Swarm team over the last two months or so? The game we lost, it. you know, if, if I told you we scored 18 goals that game, you'd think, well, they must have won that game too. But you know, it was one of those nights where we uh, you know struggled defensively and goaltending and so you know, I, I think I think there's been a level of confidence that we've created, and and you know, even you know, one game against Buffalo, one game against Toronto, we kind of weren't great, but you know, the one game, you know, the other game against Buffalo, the other game against Toronto, we were you know, we were one goal games or two goal games, the two goal game against Colorado, they scored empty netter late, like we, we were, we knew we were right there. Um, and I think our, our schedule early in the season didn't help us. We played a couple games and we were off. And we played a couple games and we were off. It's just hard to get into a rhythm. And, you know, we kind of said, hey, this is what we all wanted. We wanted a consistent schedule play every week, and that's what we're in now. So our guys have really embraced it. I, you know, I think picking up John Rannigan was a really, you know, great move for us, great locker room guy and, you know, big physical energy player. And that, that's been helpful to us. And, and I think uh, – and I think you know Brett Dobson is you know really has shown that he can be a, he can be a, a starting goalie and an elite level goalie in this league. And, you know, I mean, you know, show me a team around the league that's successful, and I'll show you a team that's got you know good goaltending most nights. And yeah. and that's you know that's what we're you know we've been getting for the most part. So you know, I think that's you know that's a big turnaround. It's just you know kind of confidence. And uh, you know, goaltending, and just our—I think our offense now settling in and and you know working together. You know, we had some changes this year with our offense. So, uh, but but really, you know, for us going forward, it, it's you know we've said if, if we want to be in the playoffs, you know we're we're in the playoffs now. Like we're we're at the point where we got we got to win games, and and you know we can't afford uh, we can't afford any you know, major hiccups here. We we have to put together a fair number of wins to, to get ourselves there. So mm-hmm. I mean so that's you know that's our mentality right now. We're 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 gonna play we have to play pre playoff games, you know, to, to try to qualify for the playoffs. So 
every uh, every game is that's the mentality, and uh, that's you know that's what we have to do. With Coach Como having spent so much time on the bench, whether as an assistant or as a head coach in the National Lacrosse League, he had the privilege of coaching so many great players, and a handful of those guys actually went on to become NLL head coaches. And it's interesting because so many of those guys are still coaching to this day. So I had to ask Ed Como what it's like to be in this coaching environment where it's not only him, but so many of these guys have coached together or they played together and now they're coaching against each other. It's just such a really unique world and a, and a coaching environment in the National Lacrosse League because it is such a tight-knit community. I think for the most part, like you say, I mean, guys, you know, play, you know, we, we played against each other, played with each other. Um, or, you know, or, or when you're older like I am, you've coached, you know, I like around the league and I'm like, yeah, I coached that guy. I don't like coach that guy. It's, so, you know, each other and, uh, you know, there's that respect. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that the players see it too. You got the players who play together on national teams and, you know, or in summer league or in the PLL and then they're playing, you know, with or against each other. There's that level of respect. But, you know, there's also the expectation that hey, people are are, are going to go hard, and as a as a, a coach and a competitor, I'm going to do whatever I can to give my, you know, my team an edge to win, and and I expect every coach to do the same for us. So it's you know, it, there's 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 a respect, and, and I think with that respect, you know, for a lot of the coaches comes the fact that hey, like you know. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody wants to be embarrassed, right? No one, you know, you know, I, I don't want to be embarrassed, and, and I, I certainly don't want to embarrass anyone else. And, and I mean, that's something that is kind of just goes to the respect factor that, uh, you know, understanding, uh, hey, just because you know, just because someone's uh, someone's team's having a bad night doesn't mean you need to you know run the score up on them, and, uh, and and you know make make all those players and all those coaches put them in a hole to hurt. So. I think the respect is, is really huge, and uh, and I think you know part of the respect is also it's such a small lacrosse community. Not just and not just do we you know know each other, but you know I always joke that you know if you know if you're walking through the mall and you see someone wearing a lacrosse shirt, you kind of nod at them, right? Like it's just such a a small community of lacrosse people that you you know everyone knows everyone, and and we all want the game to be bigger and better, so. Uh, you know, we're all, you know, we're all committed to do whatever we can to make that happen. With a few games still left to coach this season, Coach Como is one of the most winningest coaches in National Lacrosse League history. He is only behind Derek Keenan, who, as we've heard, he coached with in his early days in Toronto, and Darius Kilgore. And Coach Como has played, has coached in now a 201 games, so it is interesting that he has coached fewer games than both Kilgore and Keenan, but as we said, his winning percentage is just so high that that is how he's able to get in the top three of all-time coaching wins. Just like Coach Cordingly, who we covered in the last episode of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, Coach Como is one of the few coaches in the NLL to have ever won the Les Bartley Coach of the Year Award twice. He won it with Rochester, that very impressive 14-2 season in 2007, and then 10 years later in the other championship season as a head coach with the Georgia Swarm. 
Thank you so much to Ed Como for joining me and sharing his amazing story throughout the National Lacrosse League with all of us on the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. It's so great to always talk to Coach Como. He is he is such a brilliant mind in lacrosse, and you know the the wins speak for itself, and and obviously the experience that he's had, the players that he's that he has groomed, the coaches that he's coached alongside. It is really a, a special career that he has had. So it's great to hear this entire journey that he has had and how successful that he's been at each of the stops and. It, it was great talking to Coach, and we are very excited to to feature one more coach that did have his 200th game coached in NLL history a few weeks back, and that will be the next episode of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. So stay tuned for that one because it is coming right around the corner. We are whipping out so many episodes this week, really catching up on a lot of content, trying to push everything out before the postseason rushs. So be on alert for that next episode, which is going to be coming out very soon. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And as always, if you have missed any episodes of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, feel free to go back on Spotify or Anchor and check out those previous episodes. We are nearing episode 50, so there is so much content that has been pushed out over the last year and a half. So definitely don't miss a beat. There are so many amazing statistical nuggets that have happened in that time frame, and it's really timeless, you know, just because a player has moved on to, to new numbers and new statistics, it's always great to hear their perspective of what it was like to reach certain milestones, so definitely go back and check out any of the episodes that happened before this one. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon, everybody.